0: you or somebody you know hoard? You aren't alone. Hoarding affects millions of people throughout the world. You can do something about it and regain personal control. Welcome to Take Back Your Life When Your Things Are Taking Over with host Elaine Burchall. Reduce and relieve yourself from the shame and blame clutter causes in your life. You can do it and we'll show you how. Now here's your host Elaine Burchall. Hello everyone, welcome
1: back to our second show on Voice America's Variety Channel. I'm Elaine Birchall, your host, and this is Take Back Your Life When Your Things Are Taking Over. Thank you for coming back and tuning in with us today. It's great to have you back. We, intend to go, we intended to go live on Facebook today, but to respect our guest Jane's privacy, we're going to wait until next week to go live with you. But all the same, you can reach us in real time today by calling our worldwide toll-free number, one 472 5788 Or you can also email us at elaine.berchall.com. At hoarding.ca, Jane is an amazingly brave woman and the reason that she's agreed to join us today is simply so that you can hear firsthand about hoarding and what really stuck feels like on the inside. I also want you to have a more accurate understanding about hoarding because it has been so sensationalized. The shows about hoarding are so often only dealing with the worst of the worst situations. And then through the marvels of the editing process into TV sound bites, everyone associated, the stock person and their family members, too often become so distorted that they're exaggerations that nobody can relate to. Also, when dreams become the face of hoarding, people mistakenly reassure themselves that their piles and pathways don't constitute hoarding because they look at what their situation is and they say, I'm not like the people on the shows. I'm not that bad. So my situation isn't hoarding. And those that do look around their environment and see similar accumulations to those on the shows feel so stigmatized that it adds enormously to their feelings of self-blame and shame. If you're tuning in right now, I believe that it's because you want the very best information. So let's start with a little quiz. You can take it with me right now. Or, you can listen in, that's okay too. If you want to take it with me right now, do so by getting a pen and paper, and I'll give you a minute to get one. If you're going to listen in, you can always go to my website later, www.hoarding.ca. In the interest of time, though, so that Jane will be able to fully share her experience with hoarding, You can evaluate your answers to the quiz by going to my website, www.hoarding.ca and under the tab labeled radio show, you're going to find the rating scale that will be posted right after the show. You can also find the rating scale for that quiz we did last week, the activities of daily living. I developed this quiz help people determine whether they might have a problem with clutter and so that they can learn that earlier rather than later. The quiz is titled, Are You a Hoarder in the Making? The rating scale, in case you want to do it now, is zero, not at all. Two, mm, mild. Four, mm, moderate. Six, severe. Eight, way extreme. The first question is, because of the number of possessions you have right now, how difficult is it for you to use the rooms in your home? Second question, how upsetting is it for you to have your home in its current condition? Third question, how upsetting or concerning is it for others to have your home in its current condition? Fourth question, have other people or agencies tried to intervene to offer you help to tidy up because of clutter? Fifth question, How difficult or distressing is it for you to get rid of things? Sixth question, sixth and final question. How often have you spent money that you don't really have because you saw something and you just had to have it? Now we're going to talk about some basic information about hoarding. Each week, I'm going to give you increasingly more information about hoarding so that you can understand it either on behalf of yourself or somebody else that you're concerned about. Remember, you can go to www.hoarding.ca to scale those answers under the radio show tab. And before we start talking with Jane, let's talk about some key things that you need to know about hoarding. This morning, I went back on Google Analytics, looked at the analytics for my website. Do you know that I have hits from eight different countries? Canada, obviously, a lot from the United States, places like Colorado Springs, San Jose, Seattle, Phoenix, Rancho Cordova, Farmington Hills, Ashburn. I also had hits from Israel, Tel Aviv, and Yafo. I had 11 hits from Aberdeen, Scotland in one week. F- hits from France, Versailles. Hits from Finland, Vithi, from Cologne in France, from Brazil, from India, from Hong Kong, from the Philippines, from Indonesia, and from Moscow and Russia. So hoarding is found in all cultures. That's how I know it. It's also found in all income brackets, all education levels. The only thing different with income levels is the price tag on the items. Interventions are as complicated and as costly and time-consuming as the person who hoards needs them to be. And it will continue to deteriorate until the health and the safety of both the individual and the community are put at risk. And the reason that's true is that when somebody starts to hoard, it's a compulsive behavior. And people who hoard don't wake up one morning and say, gee, I think I have enough. They need help to get a handle on it. What is hoarding? Not every mess on the floor is hoarding. There's an official definition in the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health Disorders, version 5, came out in May 2013. And in that, we call the DSM-5, hoarding became a discrete disorder in its own right. The reason that is so important is because at that point, it became an official standalone mental health disorder. And if it is severe enough in the person's life or the community's life, it can constitute a disability and does have protection under human rights codes, whatever those codes are in your particular country. Well, the DSM-5 definition of hoarding is about three pages long, so it would take the whole show to go over it. And over the years, I've developed a working definition, and we're going to work from that definition through these shows. Each of these three criteria must exist to some extent, even a slight, even a tiny, tiny, slight extent, for it to be hoarding. If all three criteria do not exist to any extent, then one of two things is true. It isn't hoarding, or we don't have enough information about the person and their situation to know that the missing criteria actually does exist. Here are the three criteria, and I'll read them slowly so that you can write them down in case you need to there is what most people would describe as an excessive accumulation. And I like to say a failure to discard proportionately things or animals or the combination now, discording proportionately does not mean one thing in, one thing out. If that works for you, fine and dandy. But that's not really what it means. It means that the person themselves doesn't have a fundamental appreciation, a fundamental s- safety check that kicks in when they realize that life is starting to get out of control. And that safety check motivates them to do something about it, to rectify it and get things back in balance. The second criteria, the activities of daily living, and you know what they are because we went through them at the last show. If you want a copy of that, that uh, check and checklist, please feel free to email me at my, my email address, Elaine. Dot Birchall at hoarding.ca or go to my website under the Radio show tab and I've posted it there. So those activities of daily living, the things all of us have to do every day, start to become impaired. We can't perform them as well as we need to, as consistently as we need to. And that's because the spaces that we're living in can't be used for their intended purpose. The third criteria is that distress or impairment in functioning has started to happen either to the person themselves or others. That also means that if somebody had reason to be upset and concerned, if they only knew the truth about the condition of the property, that criteria has been met. So, you're going to hear two terms used interchangeably, hoarding and cluttering, and we're going to talk more about that after the break. So we're going to take a short break in just a few minutes, and when we return, we're going to talk more with Jane. We're going to meet her and start to learn about the events in her life that set her up to become vulnerable to hoarding disorder. Hoarding and cluttering, those terms are used interchangeably, but there are two differences. Clutters can discard more easily and clutter doesn't interfere with their life to the same extent. Not every person who clutters is going to go on to be a hoarder. But every single person in more than 14 years who ended up in a hoarding situation told me that they started out by cluttering. The other thing I want you to know is that there are three types of hoarding behavior. One is called, you'll hear different terms used for it. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as common hoarding. I like to call it indiscriminate hoarding because everything known to man is hoarded all at the same time and it's stored chaotically. Chaos is a common feature when somebody hoards everything. But not everybody who hoards does hoard everything another term you're going to hear is specialist i like to call it discriminate hoarding because the person themselves is very discriminating about what they keep and what they keep are things that have particular attraction and value so there's a high attraction value, high reward value for having them. Sometimes those things, when things get out of hand, get combined. And what turned, started out as a specialist type of hoarding, preferred items actually then becomes a combined heap um, so that everything gets mixed up together. The second type of hoarding is Diogenes Syndrome. Diogenes Syndrome we're going to learn more about in a little one, in a f- upcoming shows, commonly found among our senior population. The third type is Animal Hoarding. And Animal Hoarding is very complicated. I have a leading international expert who's going to come and talk to us about Animal Hoarding. What are the prevalence rates? How common is this? If you look just at the combination of common hoarding, so that's the people who generalize and the people who have preferred items, specialists, you're looking currently, we can prove, 5 to 6 percent of the general population. If you're looking at Diogenes Syndrome, you're looking at 0.5 per thousand. If you're looking at animal hoarding, you're looking at 88 per hundred thousand of the general population. Interestingly enough, with animal hoarding, there are five separate, five separate psychiatric definitions of animal hoarding. You can see how complicated that can get. It's also one of the most difficult forms of hoarding to intervene with. So we're going to take that short break now. And when we come back, as I said, we're going to meet Jane and talk to her and learn about her life. Jane is struggling with a number of things and she's going to tell you about all of them. So we'll we'll be waiting here for you right after the break. We'll see you back here very soon.
2: the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank. Do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey investment education and asset management firm. And his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732 380 07271 the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming back. Well, we were talking about what hoarding was in the last segment. And we I, every week I will give you more information about hoarding. But right now, I want to introduce our very amazingly brave uh, guest. Her name is Jane, and she has joined us today to be able to help you understand what it's like to live with hoarding disorder and what it feels like, what you experience from the inside. She's also very generously agreed to tell us some of the life events that kind of set her up for developing vulnerabilities that made it more acceptable, more likely that she would have to fight really hard to get out of creating chaos in her life. One of the forms that chaos takes is hoarding. Mm -hmm. Hello, Jane. Thank you so much for joining us today and being willing to do this. It's really generous of you to share your experiences.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Ah, Happy to, happy to. Um, We've talked together in our counseling sessions and in our work together about events in your life that did make you more vulnerable to just not realizing how chaotic Your life had been. And as you described it at one point, you didn't know what the target looked like, so you couldn't hit it. You didn't know what normal was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you were doing exactly the opposite in the hopes that that was something that would lead to better outcomes. Yes.
3: Yeah. Um, Both my parents uh, were alcoholics. Uh, My dad was an alcoholic first and um, my mom was more of just a social drinker with him and then she started drinking more as he drank more just because it was there and something to do. Right. And um, when I was really young it used to just be in the evenings or on weekends and not get really bad but then my dad would go from a social drinker to an angry drunk very quickly after, you know, a short period of time. And then it just would go on from there. And they kind of sort of forgot that they had a kid around the house sometimes because the, they were more interested in drinking. Right. Do you remember what that was like? Um, it was more of a... I was always kind of on eggshells of kind of wondering... What the situation was, like first thing in the morning, it was usually pretty good um, unless they had a hungover from the night before. But as the t- day progressed, you kind of look at to see how many empty bottles of beer or or that were around. and as the as it came to about supper time, uh, especially on the weekends, it was uh, um, getting louder and more violent, like they were both arguing about whatever. And I would just kind of stay out of the the room or Uh go near the edges or Uh watch TV or keep to myself type thing. Okay.
1: So one of the things, too, you know, we talked about is there are certain events in a person's life that are more likely to be associated with future development of hoarding disorder, and one of those is trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And you shared something with me that was profound, and I'm wondering if you're still comfortable telling our listening audience about just how invisible you were as a child um, in your family because of their preoccupation with um, their drug of choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Um well my my parents uh were having like a a bad relationship they were always arguing and stuff but my mom got pregnant and kind of then things seemed to be looking up on that that uh you know it's kind of the the icing on the relationship because a baby's going to make everything that was chaotic before better um, but my, um, uh, my mom had a, a baby girl and, uh, when she was uh, about six weeks old, she passed away of SIDS, oh. a crib death. Um, but with that was, I kind of blamed myself. I was about six at the time mm-hmm. and I, uh, my mom went to the bathroom, you know, take a shower to the bathroom and she asked me just to watch the baby. She was in the crib and you know, it was uh, it was sleeping, and then all of a sudden, her chest stopped moving. Were so you right there? I was right there, just looking at the baby in the crib, like you know, petting it, like on you know, on its like sleeper and stuff. And um, I yelled for my mom, and I got my mom, and she came, and all like all I remember was like things moving really fast, and my mom screaming and yelling and trying to like do CPR, which I didn't know what CPR was at mm-hmm. the time, but. Um, but it was, it was told after the fact like when I was older that's what she did yeah. and calling my dad and calling the police or whatever and uh, it didn't work no. so my sister had uh, died and there was all these people in my house and my dad got there from work and he was all upset and angry and there was yelling and you know he punched a hole right through the wall mm-hmm. and uh, instead of hitting my mom mm-hmm. Which was a common thing at that point in time too. Um, so, but when there was fights, um, my mom would also fight back. So at the end of the fight, they both usually had like black eyes or split mm-hmm. lips or something. Mm-hmm. So it was not exactly mm-hmm. completely one one way. No. But my mom was not a big person, so she was always at a disadvantage. But from that was kind of like. The icing on the cake. From that point on, their relationship went downhill right. more, and they drank more, and uh, there so was a lot more abuse. The
1: day that your sister died, um, you were actually watching her. Like hmm. you, you, she said, watch the baby. So you were watching, watching the baby. baby. You were doing I was a good job watching, the, old, baby. watching yeah, the baby. watching the baby, and then this horrible completely random act happened and the police came, Mm -hmm. uh, the paramedics came, um, your dad and your mom, did they help you at all? Did the police help you at all? Did the paramedics? I I don't remember anybody
3: really paying attention to Because you were watching
1: the baby when it happened and you in particular needed help. Mm-hmm. You were least prepared to understand what was happening and and the, the image you gave me at the time like when I felt told me like that? I
3: was blamed because like like my mom was screaming what what happened what happened' I'm like, I just said she was sleeping and she's not breathing like and I felt like I somehow did something or was to blame because mm-hmm. of things and I and I felt that way. I still kind of a little bit do, but I felt that way till I reached even adulthood mm-hmm. because and I even talked it. With my, with my parents at the time, and they're like, what do you mean you're to blame? Like, I also thought that their actual divorce because after that incident, their relationship went down and they separated and then eventually divorced. Then right. I thought it was my fault. Right. Because if I had watched the baby right, like, somehow... Yeah, I you could have, things. could have changed things. They wouldn't have divorced. Right. So...
1: But that day, um, the image I had when you told me, um, and was that you were in the background while all of this activity Mm -hmm. was happening and nobody thought to involve you. It was almost like you receded into the background and became invisible and nobody thought later. I mean, you can understand that in a crisis, right? They're trying to help the baby. They're trying to contain the situation. But nobody reached out to you later and explained that this was just a horrible, random event that happened and you happened to be the closest person to her and that that surprised me that
3: well it was also like 1981 or so so you know I don't know if they were really you know that observant about you know children in the in the room as well like right I don't I don't know but I just know that I don't remember anybody Checking in on me, whether my parents or, or the, emergency preparedness people or whatever. I just remember like just seeing like lots of people and lots of, you know, arguing and yelling and you know crying and
1: yeah. And yeah, the the uh, the, the shock, shock of the yeah. situation. Yeah, but you too were in shock and didn't get the help you needed mm-hmm. at the time. That's kind of the point. I don't yeah. want you to excuse away by the fact that it was in the eighties, which you so <laughs> often do. You you try to find a reason why it would make sense. I know. Situation that's gotten you through lots. That, yes, but it's important too to kind of peel it back and look at it for what it really is, eh? Mm-hmm. Through the eyes of an adult. Um, so Dad and Mum broke up
3: mm-hmm. and then what happened? Well, um my mum still loved my dad. Um my dad still continued drinking. My mom and my dad still drank to deal with whatever their their issues. My mum eventually stopped drinking when I was about nine and uh she put me into uh, CAS for um, for six months or so while she went into rehab because she realized she had a problem and she didn't like what she was doing. Well, my dad, he, he had been separated um, and he was still drinking and he had, you know, changed girlfriends often mm-hmm. and that. Uh, um, so, and so I was put in CAS for six months, which actually was, you know, one of the good foster homes. You hear about bad ones. Well, I got one of the good ones. And lucky for it that uh, it helped me see what, like, a real family is supposed to do, like, sit down at the table and, you know, eat supper together or do stuff together. Mm -hmm. Like, it was not, uh, and then kind of put my my family situation as being, uh, you know, different. Right, right. And realizing that, oh, I don't know if this is, you know, Right or wrong. Yeah, like, how can
1: this be (laughs) what it's all about? Was there an event that led up to your mom waking up? Because she hadn't been a drinker before, right? As Mm -hmm. you
3: told me. She's been a social drinker, but not an alcoholic. And um, over time, uh, my dad would drink more, so she'd do it more socially, and that, and then um, stress finances and stuff, my dad would uh, like. Either quit his job or lose his job or whatever, so she would have to try and work more. Um, so, was there was
1: there an event that? Um...
3: Oh, like, uh, but she would uh, get drunk, and if she got really bad, then sometimes she'd be uh, violent too. Like, and um, sometimes I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I knocked over something or argued with her and you know she'd back slap me but then right away she like immediately apologized like my dad had done it a few times but he he felt it was like you know I was spanked as a child sometimes and you know the belt or whatever you know I'm backhanded backhanded, backhanded too and stuff like that and but my mom with my mom it happened a couple of times and um but she felt completely guilty, like you'd see it on her she face. She like, She's like, oh, my God, like I didn't yeah. realize. Yeah. And then she realized that it was the drink that was changing her behavior because that was not how her behavior was she when she was sober. Be, yeah. And she was, uh, and, and, and I think it was starting to affect her work and stuff like that, they have, you know, if she drank too much at night, having a hangover, getting a hard time to get up in the morning type thing. Right, right. So then she, it kind of like kind gave of her a wake-up call. Came together. Right? Yeah. Well, my dad, it didn't do that until later. I don't know what event.
1: Okay. And you, were there other forms of um, neglect and, and abuse that your dad
3: um, engaged in that, you know, just... Um, well, see... Um, my dad was, um, he he used, when they were together, because my mom, you know, would kick him out and would take him back and kick him out and take him back because she loved him and he'd ask her to come back. And sometimes, um, I, I remember, there was like locks on the fridge because she, he would accuse her from drinking his beer or whatever. Or there was a couple of times where he emptied out the bank account, the shared bank account and, you know, the food in the fridge at the end of the month and took off to find another girlfriend or whatever okay. and left my mom with the rent. And uh, he was definitely um, verbally abusive of, you know, calling me stupid or ugly or fat or whatever. I mean, I was a small child. I wasn't exactly, mm-hmm. you know, any of those mm-hmm. things. No. But no. he, you know, that was kind of how he... Um, did things a lot of shaming and guilt and and stuff like that.
1: And it's never okay to do that, no matter what the person thinks, it's never okay hmm. to to dump on anybody, let alone
3: a child. Hmm. You know? But I'm sure like I didn't know any different and he probably didn't know much different because both of his parents were alcoholics and my yeah. mom's dad was an alcoholic too, so she probably didn't yeah. know no, Much not difference. Sure. No, for sure. So she thought that was the kind of moral. And your
1: mom went on to develop
3: hoarding. Yes. Hoarder. Yes. So um, her parents um, hoarded. Um, they had a bungalow. And in the basement, there was three bedrooms and a freezer mm-hmm. and stuff. And in each of those rooms, there was boxes to the ceiling mm-hmm. of stuff, mm-hmm. of sometimes stuff that my my grandparents purchased or stuff that my grandfather like recycled mm-hmm. like there was there was fridge sized boxes of sour cream containers that were washed out okay a box of you know the elastics from the mailman because they were dropped on the ground and you never know when you can use, an use an elastic. elastic right <laughs> so and and a six-foot freezer full of food from nineteen from the butchers since 1969. Oh, so this way was the eighties. This yeah. was the 80s. This was at least 10 years yeah. old. It was, uh, you know, we, we only found this out when my grandfather's uh, health um, was uh, getting worse, that we actually had to go and look in the basement, because we never really went into the basement. basement. Yeah, the North main floor Street. was, you know, mm-hmm. organized, a little bit of clutter, but... Mm-hmm. You know, they were older, and they had their own little projects and hobbies. And
1: sure. And so how bad was your mom's hoarding disorder? Well... And when did it start? Um, we have just a few minutes here, and, and we can come back after the break and really okay. kind of elaborate it. it. It
3: it started before my grandparents was, was uh, were ill. We always had lots of things in boxes and and that into rooms and sometimes in the corners, there was boxes like the an apartment and there were boxes to the ceiling, but there was lots of pathways around beds. Okay. But uh, after my grandparents passed, okay. we inherited all their stuff on top of my mom's stuff.
1: Okay. So after the break, let's talk more about that, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a short break now. We're gonna hear more from Jen after the break. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back.
2: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events.
0: This is Take Back Your Life When Your Things Are Taking Over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.bergell at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Um, Jane is going to continue sharing with us in just a minute, but we have had um, an email from Mary and Mary wants to know, I've heard that hoarding runs in families. Is there a genetic base for this? Or is it simply one generation training the next generation on the proper rules for saving everything? That is an excellent question, Mary. In fact, we know that 84% of hoarders have a first-degree family relative who also hoards, mother, father, sister, brother. And that, in part, is for both of the aspects that you referred to in your question and that we inherit our DNA all right there are certain traits um, that are passed down there are certain other mental and physical health characteristics and challenges that are inherited and on top of that we also model the next generation on what the shoulds are, what the proper and right way to approach life is, as Jane uh, referred to in her family. So, Jane, thanks for staying with us. And you were telling us about um, your mom, your, your grandfather, um, hoarding, and it being kind of under, under the surface. People weren't really that aware of um, the condition of the basement and the store of food was like 15, 20 years outdated and that your mom um, also began to hoard. But after uh, your parents died, before your parents died, but it became worse after under the stress of now having the, the house mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of people think that the more if I only had more room, but you fill the space you have when it's a compulsive behavior. Was that your experience with your mom? And did you find in your own life when stressors may you know helped you past that tipping point, and you started to hoard, that that
3: became true for you as well. Uh, yes. Um, well, my my mom had like a two-bedroom apartment, and when my grandparents passed, they had a bungalow, and she basically got, like they got rid of a lot of stuff, because a lot of stuff was literally garbage, or mm-hmm. they sold lots of stuff or gave it away. Um, But some stuff was too momentous uh, of things, of things that meant things to her parents and she kept Mm -hmm. them. And so when she got those things, they went into her place and she had a little bit of clutter of stuff because it was a smaller apartment. And um, so when that stuff came in, it made even more. Um, And then for myself, I had moved out on my own, but then my mom passed, which I inherited all of her stuff, which still had stuff from my grandparents, Okay. um, which she had, there were certain things that she hadn't gone through yet, which was only, you know, five or six years before. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, I didn't really want to go through a lot of it, but when she passed, I threw out a lot of, you know, obvious Mm -hmm. things, Mm -hmm. but then other things that were either meant stuff with her or... My grandparents, I just put into boxes because we only had two weeks to clear out. (laughs) And your grandparents meant an awful lot to you, like an awful lot.
1: So you were really grieving two sets of deaths within five years. Well,
3: both my grandparents passed away within nine months of each other. So it was like bam, bam. Yeah. And I was a teenager at the time. And uh, my dad had just remarried and had started to get had gotten sober, got remarried, and trying to get his life to back together. So, mm-hmm. but my grandparents were always the uh, we didn't see them too often, but they were always loving and unconditional love. Like they didn't care
0: mm-hmm.
3: like what was going on, but they always showed love. And mm-hmm. and then it was it was kind of like their like safe space. Yeah. So when they passed, I didn't have. A safe, a safe space. space. Because, I mean, my mom at that time was sober and was better. But she, all those years of my younger years, she was never really mothering to me. So she was more like a good friend. Like okay. she was mother and good friend. Not mm-hmm. but like, not like leave it to beaver or anything. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody had leave it to beaver. I wanted leave it to beaver. <laughs> and where? <Yeah>. Everybody. <laughs> never had leave yeah, it to beaver. Okay. Um, but... Uh, um, Okay,
1: so we have a question for uh, Marie from Maria. Yes. Hi. Hi, Maria. Thank you for joining us.
4: You have a question. Yes, I was wondering um, if um, there's a cure for hoarding.
1: That's a good question. Um, so. People, it it very, very much depends, uh, Maria, on how old, at what age the person started to um, engage in hoarding behavior, and for how long they've done it, and what other—it's a ten-dollar word—comorbid factors. What other? mental and physical challenges they have that coexist with the hoarding disorder. Now those other factors, it could be OCD, it could be um, depression, it could be social anxiety, it could be a lot of things. Attention deficit hyperactivity, in Jane's case, made it a lot more complicated. They don't cause the hoarding, but they complicate the person getting control of the hoarding disorder. It complicates things. So the the long answer is it depends. There is always, always a way to help the person learn to manage it. It's a little like type 1 diabetes, in that you can always learn to identify the triggers Mm -hmm. and learn to manage those triggers. The The short answer is it's not curable, but it does not have to take over your life and control it. Okay, does that help? Yes. And you you can go to my website at www.hoarding.ca. I have a whole list of resources there under the resources tab to help you get started working on it on your own. I have a list of really great books um, to get you started. And I'm always here if you need me. I'm an email away or a phone call away. Okay. Okay, You're welcome. Thank you, Christina, you you've got a question. Hello, Christina.
4: Yes. Hi, hi. I just have. I just. First of all, I want to congratulate Jane on coming to talk to everybody and her big her journey through um, trying to manage her area in terms of the hoarded space. But I was just wondering. um, I work with lots of different um, individuals who live in hoarded environments, and I was wondering what was I guess the motivating factor for Jane in terms of um, trying to get control of her environment? Oh, what a perfect answer. Perfect question, rather. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um,
1: so, Christine would like to know what your motivating factor was in helping you start to overcome.
3: Um, well, before, uh, like, the, initially there was a, a big, huge, like, you know, hitting a brick wall. incident. Brick wall. Yeah. Brick wall incident of, you know, of water heater breaking, flooding and stuff going over where I had stored stuff, you know, ruining stuff and then having to get a dumpster and all this stuff and big health issue. Big crisis. Um, So big crisis happened and I had to actually ask for help. Had to ask Um, for help. And so even though my family um, was somewhat helpful or, kept on trying to be helpful. Um, I had to ask for outside help, and so I had to kind of, you know, I, I knew it was an issue, and I just asked people that I was friends with that I knew that I, that uh, trusted me and liked me for who I was. Mm-hmm. And they helped, and then we got called you guys and, and oh. helped things to... Put the A's in front of the B's and yeah. start f- from square one. But uh, initially, it was it was I was trying to do stuff on my own, and uh, life happened. Other crises, health issues, I have a child with a special needs. Um, all these other things kept on piling up, and I was just barely barely doing the bare minimum okay. of things. So, and then when a major crisis happened, then it's like, okay, I can't do everything all on my own. Okay. So. And you reached out for help. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
4: Does that answer your question? It does, and I'd like to congratulate Jane because it's often really hard to um, find those people in your life that you can reach out to, and being able to trust people is often really, really difficult, especially when you are trying to... You've done it so many times yourself and tried to get there yourself and or come to the conclusion that you can't do it on your own. You needed some support.
3: Yeah, if you, if you find people in your life that you are willing to um, invite into your home, even after you tidy up and which isn't completely tidy, and, and they will sit on your couch and chat with you, then those are the type of people that will also help you when you open up the closet door and Things come crashing down and go like, "Oh, okay, you have a little bit of a problem here," you know. It's, 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 you know, if, if you if you show them your garage door and it's full of stuff, and they're like, "Okay, let's work on this one box," and they're they're the type of person to help. And also, a lot of times, they either have dealt with it themselves or they have a parent. You know, a lot of seniors um, um, have it too that they can't get rid of their lives uh-huh, that they've accumulated uh-huh, over so many years uh-huh. that they understand at least the bare minimum of, you know, I understand you have a lot of stuff. Okay, let's help. You know, do you really need this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for your question and for calling thank, in.
4: Thanks so much, Jane. And I'd love to uh, hear, from, hear from lots of different people who have some lived experience because I think there's such value in that.
1: Uh, perfect. Thank you. Bye. the other thing that I would like to really um, finish the show on is the positives, mm-hmm. right? That you changed your life. You're, you 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 really had a struggle. You didn't know what normal was. You went on to create a wonderful family. You've well, got a you. great marriage, a fabulous, wonderful, supportive intelligent, funny husband, who's good to you, good to your two children. And you have other challenges as well in that there, there are disabilities um, and challenges within the family um, that you still have to balance that make it very difficult. And you have stepped up mm-hmm. with recognizing what wasn't working and would you say that perseverance and, and commitment to that target that you now can see as the family, the home that you want in the way you want to live it, not better homes and gardens. Oh, God, no. Would you say <laughs> that that's
3: a, a major motivating factor? Uh, yes. Like, I, I think that trying to um and realizing that I couldn't do it all on my own that of getting help from my family from my friends and stuff and then getting um the major places that were a hindrance either working um so they work for me or and then realizing that when things get uh, uh overwhelming that I'm like oh okay I need to work on this more And uh, had uh, lots of um, counseling with Elaine here that has helped to uh, work through issues because I would see her once a week or once every two weeks, and she would come and say, "Oh, okay. So what's been going on in your life?" And she would she would notice that when things were either a bit more cluttered or that than from the previous week, or something, or one area of the house was um, was a little bit unattended. It um, usually corresponded with some sort of life happening, of either somebody being sick or having doctor's appointments, and/or my time being called away from the house um, more than needed. Or sometimes it was also my priorities were completely different than my family's priorities. Um, So we're going to end with that, Jane. We've run out
1: of time. Thank you so, so much. And I look forward to everybody coming back next week, learning more about hoarding and learning about the forgotten children. We'll see you next week, everybody, on Variety Channel, Voice America. Take back your life when your things are taking over.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week. Please join Elaine Burchall for another edition of Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll help you declutter your home and your life again next week.